All right, let's open to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. And as you can see, there is a lot of information uh, that we present. It's not as much as it seems, though, because uh, the first page is our outline that we're going to look at today. And then on the last page, on the back page, is a little chart that will give a brief summary of what is going to come between pages 1 and the last page as well. Um, But we're going to talk today about sacrifices. Last week we introduced the book of Leviticus, and we said Leviticus probably isn't in the top five favorite books of Christians. Uh, It can be pretty difficult. It can be pretty uh, tedious to read. Um, And honestly, a lot of Christians uh, don't see much value in it at all. All, but the value in Leviticus for the Christian is not found what's written in Leviticus. It's the picture that Leviticus paints that we ultimately see fulfilled in Christ Jesus. What we find in Leviticus, especially here in the first seven chapters that we're going to look at, the first seven chapters contain the ritual sacrifices that the children of Israel were required or, or had the opportunity to make to atone for their sins. Uh, There are five major sacrifices listed here in the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 7. Five is the biblical number symbolizing grace. And we ended last week by saying, even though Leviticus is a book about law, it's also a book of how God graciously provided a way for His sinful people to approach His presence in order to receive forgiveness of their sins. So these five ritual sacrifices are really symbolic of God's grace extended to His people. That God could just wipe people off the map, you know, because they're sin and we're sinners and we all deserve, uh, you know, the, the wrath of our sin against us. But God graciously provides a way. Now here in Leviticus, He provides, He graciously provides a way to atone for their sins by giving the Israelites something they must do. And that is offer sacrifices. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is in the New Covenant, God also graciously provides a way to atone for the sins of sinful people. But instead of giving us something to do to atone for our sins, He does it for us. And through our faith and acceptance of what God did for us through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, that's what we see the new covenant based on. So, you know, a, a lot of people, when we talk about law and grace and old covenant and new covenant, we think that the old covenant is, is devoid of, of grace, which it is not. We see God graciously providing a way for His people here to approach Him, but it's through something they must do. But for us in the New Covenant, God graciously provides a way for us to come to Him, but it's not something we must do. It's something that He done for us through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the amazing thing about this. So the whole tone of Leviticus is, yes, here's what you must do to get your sins forgiven. Here's what you must do to atone for uh, or to have your sins atoned for. And it's through offering these five sacrifices. And we're going to look at those. So the first page is just the outline. This is going to help us uh, when we're reading through this, um, because if not, we're going to get lost in all of these details very quickly. 
you know, thank goodness for Bibles that have headings and kind of divide sections so we can understand what we're reading. Because you can really get lost in the book of Leviticus because it seems like the story has just stopped. But, these, but looking at the, uh, the outline here, uh, chapters 1 through chapter 6, verse number 7, speaks of these five offerings. Then in chapters 6, verse 8, going through the end of chapter 7, verse 38, we go back through these offerings. Now, we've seen that before. We've seen where, you know, in the book of Exodus, we saw where God would tell Moses all of these instructions. And then Moses would go and tell the people all the instructions. And you'd have, you know, these two sections that mirror one another. But in one case, God was giving Moses law. In the other case, Moses was conveying to the people the law. Well, what we find here in chapters 1 through 7 are two divisions. First of all, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, notice what it says here. It says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And notice verse 2. God says to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel. Speak to the people. So what's going to come from chapters 1, verse 3, all the way to chapter 6 and verse number 7, is that these are instructions to the people about these offerings. Now I want you to do something. You have your Bible open. I want you to look over in chapter 6 of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 6, In Leviticus chapter 6, verse number 8, notice what this says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying. So what's going to happen between chapter 6, verse number 8, all the way through chapter 7, are these are instructions specifically to the priests, Aaron and his family. So what you're going to find in chapter 6, verse 8, going to the end of chapter 7, they're going to kind of go through these five offerings again. But this time, it's for what the priest need to know. And in chapters 1 through 6 is what the people needed to know. Of course, the priest knew that as well, but that's why we have two kind of divisions here of different uh, offerings. But going back to chapter 1, the five major offerings you see here, number one is the burnt offering. The burnt offering. Um, number two is the grain offering. Of course, a burnt offering would be an animal. It would be a bull. It would be a goat, a lamb. You know, it would be a pigeon or a bird. And so it would be an animal, the burnt offering. Then you have the grain offering. And the grain offering, of course, is bloodless offerings. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at different ways they're cooked there. We won't go through it now. But the grain offering. And then number three is a peace offering or a fellowship offering offering. Uh, number four in chapter four is the sin offering. And then number five is the guilt or the trespass offering. So those are our five offerings. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and guilt or trespass offering. Uh, and then you see under letter number B at the bottom of the page, the offerings from the priest perspective. Uh, then number two, or you, then you have grain, burnt offering, grain offering, sin offering, guilt offering, uh, that which belongs to the priest and the fellowship offering there. So these are the five offerings that we are going to look at here in the book of Leviticus 1 through 7. So first page is outline. All right, let's go to the back of the first page. The concept of 
sacrifice, which obviously in our culture is a foreign concept. Um, you know, if there was a group in, in Wilson that was sacrificing animals every day, we would probably call them crazy. We might would call them Satanist. We would have all kinds of, of terms for them. But in the ancient world, sacrifice was just as normal as driving a car uh, in, in our day. It's just something that happened every day, all day, throughout all of the nations of the ancient Near East. And it was mostly to appease the gods of the nation. It would be the gods would be angry, you would offer a sacrifice, and that would appease the gods from their anger and from their wrath. Um, so there we see this sacrificial system is not new uh, to the world of uh, the ancients and the ancient Near East, uh, but it is unique here in how God gives, all, gives these sacrifices to His people and the law as a whole. There's very unique ideals to the law and to sacrifices, which ultimately for the Jew would point toward the future and would point toward a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So the whole concept of sacrifice that we find here in the Old Testament is to enable the people to be cleansed of their sin and to express their dedication to God. The Lord provides for them a series of sacrifices and offerings here in these first seven chapters. So this was acts of atonement, cleansing, and acts of worship unto God. This is how you had your sins atoned for. This is how you worshiped God. This is how you showed your dedication to God through offering these sacrifices. With Aaron and his sons officiating, these sacrifices were presented before the Lord the one whose law had been violated, but who was willing to forgive. That's the graciousness of God. He is willing to forgive and provides a way. Atonement was made for those who confessed their sin and offered an animal to die as a substitute for the sinner. Uh, one of the basic words for offering in the Hebrew is derived from the word to bring near, to enter into, or to draw near. It denotes movement toward God. It denotes the people moving toward God, being drawn near to God in order to bring something to Him. Uh, when sacrifices were offered, man came near God with the hope that the sacrifice would be accepted, sin would be atoned for. Reconciliation with God was the goal of the worshiper whose sinfulness always made it difficult to approach Yahweh. So the Hebrew word for offering means to bring near, to draw near. And that's what the people were doing. They were drawing near to God, but they did so with sacrifice or with some kind of an offering. If it was to say thanks to God, uh, if it was to fellowship with God and the priest, they would always bring something as they approached and drew near to God's presence. The idea of atonement is a key concept in the offering of sacrifices. It was an act performed for the purpose of relieving the conscience from its sense of guilt and shame. Um, atonement carries the idea of covering, means to cover. Um, if I was to take a sheet and, and cover this podium or cover this table uh, so that you would not see its flaws and its defects and its scratches and scrapes, that would be making a covering for this table for this podium here would cover it up. And that's what atonement was. Atonement was to offer a cover for the sins of the people. 
Uh, we find this concept, first of all, way back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, they made for themselves, and we're familiar with this, they made for themselves coverings of fig leaves. But God comes along and he makes them coverings of coats of skin and he covers them. That was God making atonement for the sin of Adam and Eve by covering them. Uh, We also see the idea of atonement in Genesis 6. When when Noah builds the ark, he is to cover it with pitch. And the same word cover with pitch in Genesis 6 is the same uh, word that is used in atonement to cover sin. So the picture in Genesis 6 is that Noah covers the ark with pitch and it was for the protection of the ark. So the water wouldn't get into the ark. So it was covered with pitch, therefore it was sealed and it would be protected and not sink. So it was a covering, it was a sealing as well, that it would seal for protection. And that's another picture that is carried forth. Uh, The principle that underlines this covering, this atonement, is found in Leviticus 17.11, which says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And you can almost kind of look at it this way. When mankind, mankind had life, When God created Adam and Eve, they had life, they had fellowship, they walked with God, and then sin came into the picture, they both sinned, and spiritual death came, and the wages of sin is death. So now mankind is in a state of death, and death also can be used as for the connotation of separation. At physical death, the spirit and the soul is separated from the body. So in spiritual death, mankind was separated from God that needed to be brought back together. So man stands in death because of sin, for the wages of sin is death. So instead of God requiring man's life for their sin, i.e. death penalty, just like in the Passover when they took a lamb and they brought it into the house, And they killed the lamb and they put the blood over the doorpost and around the doorpost. The death angel passed over that house because the death of the lamb was a substitute for the firstborn in Exodus. So the lamb was substituted so that through its death and the shedding of its blood, the people in the house could be atoned for and live. And that's the concept of the sacrifices here. It was the life of the sacrifice being given and being slain and then the blood being applied, which would give life to the offerer. And that's what we see going on here. The life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it for you to put on the altar to make atonement for your soul. So Leviticus 17.11 is a key verse in Leviticus. Uh, That corresponds with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the idea, again, of atonement and forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood, comes through a sacrifice. Of course, in the Old 
Testament under the Old Covenant, that sacrifice was animals. Under the New Covenant, that sacrifice, that substitute was Christ that substituted Himself for all of humanity. Um, And we're going to take a whole section or a whole lesson and look at Jesus. I've got a short section here, but we're going to do it way more in detail uh, in in a few weeks. Uh, The problem with the animal sacrifices in Leviticus and throughout the, all of the Old Testament will be addressed in the New Covenant, and that is the animal sacrifices were limited in their efficacy. They were limited in how they could atone for sin or uh, the scope of their atonement. The Old Testament sacrifices could cover sin, but could not remove sin. And that's a major difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. Sin had to be, or sin was covered, but it was only covered until you sinned the next time. And then when you sinned the next time, you had to bring another animal. And your sin would, that sin would be covered. And that lasted until you sinned the next time. <laughs> and then the next time, or the next day, and the next year. Uh, so, yes, Jesus is our atonement, but that word atonement is used very little in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews reminds us over and over again that sin, because of Jesus, is removed. It is removed. Therefore, Jesus doesn't have to be offered every time we sin. Reconciliation doesn't have to be made every time that we sin against God because Jesus' sacrifice was the once for all it could it did what the old testament offerings could not do it took away our sin so the old testament sacrifices covered sin but they couldn't remove sin Um, that's the reason the sacrifices had to be continually offered Uh, the animal could not provide perfect atonement but jesus did jesus did Um, so one of the reasons that we need the book of Leviticus is because when you get to Hebrews, you you need to connect the two. You need to connect the two uh, to see what's going on and what Jesus did. Um, In fact, uh, let me go ahead and go and flip to the next page. Um, Since we're talking about Christ, um, let's just look up there. I I should have put this in a different place, but Somehow it didn't work out that way. Uh, Christ, our sacrifice. Again, this is saying what I just said. The New Testament describes Christ's death in terms of Old Testament sacrifices. Making a knowledge of the Levitical system is essential in understanding our faith. 1 John 1-2, we're told that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he adds not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Then Hebrews 9.22, we just quoted that, without the shedding of blood there's no sin or no, no forgiveness. Significant sections of Hebrews draw upon the ceremonies and rituals of Leviticus to explain the work of Christ, including a specific reference to the sin offering. Without a basic knowledge of Leviticus, Hebrews will remain a closed book to the Christians. So that's why we have Old Covenant and New Covenant, or Old Testament and New Testament in our Bibles. It's because... The New Testament won't make much sense without the foundation of the Old Testament. Um, So that's why Leviticus is important to us as Christians, not because we have to follow it to make atonement for sin, but because it points to our atonement for sin, and that is Christ. All right, let's flip back to the previous page. 
when we talk about these sacrifices, all kind of different sacrifices, you know, bulls and goats and birds, and we're going to show you deep detail in just a moment on that. Um, but there's a pattern that is usually followed when sacrificing these animals. And again, not every sacrifice was an animal because you had the grain offerings that were bloodless, um, but many of them were animal sacrifices. Uh, so there's usually a, f- a pattern that is followed, and there's six... Um, here we have six elements of the pattern. Number one is selecting. The animal had to be a healthy specimen, free of any defect, for God demanded the very best. Paul refers to Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish or defect, the sinless son of God. So you will see as you're reading through Leviticus that a lot of these animals, they had to select them. Many of them had to be a male. Some had to be a female, but yet they had to be selected according to what is needed. Uh, many of them, with the exception of one, had to be absolutely perfect without blemish, without spot. It had to be a perfect sacrifice in order to offer. So the first uh, element is selecting. Secondly is identifying. Identifying. The person bringing the offering placed his hand on the head of the animal as a sign that the animal was dying in his place. So the offerer would identify with the offering, showing that, yes, I'm placing my sin upon this animal. The substitutionary nature of sacrifice was most clearly seen in the offering of Isaac that we look back back in Genesis 22, where you know, the ram caught in the thicket was substituted uh, for him, how the Passover lamb was substituted, how Christ is substituted for us. So, but there's an identification there. He that knew no sin took our sin and became sin for us. Uh, so identifying, so the offer would place his hands upon the head of the animal dying in his place. Then number three, you would have the killing of the animal, the slaughter of the animal near the altar, a burnt offering in the courtyard. Uh, without the death of the victim, the sacrifice would not be accepted. There had to be a death. Number four, uh, the blood. The priest sprinkled some of the blood on either, uh, either on the altar of the, burnt off- of the burnt offering or on the altar of incense inside the holy place, but there would be an application of the blood. The blood would be applied somewhere on the Day of Atonement, uh, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Uh, They would make the atonement for the nation. The priest would walk into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood or pour the blood uh, over the Ark of the Covenant. So there's an application of the blood. Uh, Then there's the burning. Depending on the kind of sacrifice, the priest burned all or part of the animal on the altar of burnt offering. The fat, which was considered the best part of the animal, was always burned. Uh, Then there was the eating. Except for the burnt offering and certain forms of the sin offering, part of the animal could be eaten by the priest or the offer or both. This has a special significance for the fellowship offering. So these are the six elements that you will find in offering these sacrifices. And if all that sounds like fun, that's because it was. All right. Now let's get into the offerings themselves. In chapter 1 of Leviticus... We have the burnt offering, the burnt offering. This was the most common of all the sacrifices. The burnt offering was presented in a wide variety of situations to atone for basic human sinfulness. 
The priests also had to sacrifice a lamb as a burnt offering every morning and evening without fail, and the fire on the altar was never allowed to go out. It is called the whole burnt offering because the entire animal would be completely burned and consumed by fire, except for the skin. The skin would be taken and given to uh, the priest. But the whole animal itself would be wholly burnt and wholly offered. Um, Male animals uh, without blemish were required, and depending upon the wealth of the individual involved, could be a bull. If you were in the upper class of society, if you will, you would bring a bull. Uh, If you're in the middle class, per se, you would bring a sheep or a goat. And if you were of a lower class, you would bring a bird. You would bring a dove or a pigeon. Um, And then we have here, I was going to look it up, but in Luke chapter uh, 2, verse number 22, um, when speaking, I'll just read this, in in speaking of uh, Jesus being presented at the temple, uh, Luke 2.22 says, When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we just infer from that that Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph, they were of the lower class. You know, they, they were of the poorer of society because they would have offered here a pigeon or dove. Uh, so Male animal required what you brought depending on what your status was in society. Uh, you find the burnt offering in Leviticus 1 here, 3 through 17, uh, and then over in the priestly section of chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. There are two parties involved here as far as human parties, and that is the offerer who is bringing the offering, and then there's the priest who would receive the offering. And each of them played a part in the burnt offering. And here we have the uh, prescribed ritual as far as what the offerer would do and then of what the priest would do. Um, And interestingly, an interesting fact that often gets overlooked is that it would be the offerer that would actually kill the animal. Uh, So, yeah, everybody had to participate in the killing of the animal. So the offerer, first of all, the offerer would have to bring their offering. Uh, So they would lead their offering. If it was a bull or if it was a goat or a sheep, they would lead it to the entrance of the tabernacle. If it was a bird, they would bring it in their hands. Uh, But first of all, they would present. There would be a presentation um, of the offer. He would come and bring it to the interest of the offer, would present it to the priest. Then there would be the identification, number two. This is where the offer would place his hands upon the head of the animal, or again, bring the bird in the hand, present the bird. Uh, the priest would accept the offering, and then a transfer would be made. So if I was to bring a sheep, and I was to present it to the priest, he would inspect my offering, he would accept the offering, I would place my hands upon the offering, and that would be symbolic of a transfer of my sin, my guilt, my shame upon this animal, the act that I had done. Uh, And it would be transferred to the animal. Then there would be an immolation, which is the killing of the animal. So the offerer would take the sacrifice 
and would actually kill it. Uh, this would take place, according to Leviticus 111, uh, on the north side of the altar. Um, the bird, if it was a bird, the bird would be killed by the priest, and there was a certain way he had to do that. We'll look at that in a moment. But the actual killing would be done by the offerer, and then there would be the dissection. Uh, he would flay the offering. Um, it would be skin. Of course, the skin would be given to the priest, and he would cut it into pieces, into certain pieces, so that it could be completely consumed by fire. So take it, flay it, cut it into pieces. Uh, then the offer would take the internal organs and the legs and will wash that, present those to the priest. Um, so yeah, that's what attending church was like in <laughs> Leviticus. That's what you would do to get into the door of the church uh, when you came in, in, you know, into the, the temple. So um, yeah, thank God you just get to come and sit on a padded seat for an hour. Um, as, as previous generations say, y'all don't know how good you got it. But yeah, that, that's what the offerer would have to do. Then after the offerer presents it, identifies with it, kills it, uh, and takes it all apart, the inward parts and everything, uh, the priest here, here's what the priest would do. Uh, after the uh, offering is killed, the priest would, of course, first of all, he would accept the offering. And then once killed, he would take the blood and he would bring the blood to the altar. So he would come and present the blood that had been shed of the animal before the altar. Then, number two is the scattering of the blood. The priest would then take the blood and throw it up against the sides of the altar. So he would take the blood and scatter it, and sprinkle it, splatter it, however he would do it, around the altar that the, uh, that the sacrifice was getting ready to be burnt upon. Uh, if you brought a bird, uh, the priest would take the bird and pinch off the head of the bird, uh, drain the blood at the side of the altar, pluck away the feathers, and remove its crop, which is the place of undigested food, uh, and then would rent its body without severing it completely or it completely coming apart. So they would be in, again, in certain pieces that would be offered. Uh, arranging the altar, then the priest would take the animal um, and he would, first of all, get the fuel and the fire you know, going in the altar, the wood, um, and then he would take the pieces of the animal and would arrange the pieces of the animal in the way that it would be arranged. So it was an orderly placement that he would arrange and place the pieces of the offering on the altar. And then, number five, he would attend to the altar. Then that's when the priest would burn the offering, where the offering would be burnt and totally consumed upon the altar that he had spread the blood um, upon the sides of. And then he would remove the ashes, which would be talked about in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. So you see what the offerer had to do, and you saw what the priest had to do. And they had to do this all day, every day, uh, just about. Uh, so you can imagine the smell, you can imagine uh, the scenery there. This was not a nice, neat, a tidy little place. This was pretty gruesome. And it's supposed to be gruesome. And it's supposed to, you know, the act of killing your own animal is to show the, the, the severity of sinning against God. And it's the, to show the severity of sinning against the law and breaking the law. This was, this, this was you and, and this is happening to this animal 
because of you and your sin and then the offer and their sin. So it wasn't meant to be a nice, neat little thing that they did. No, it was to show them and that every day they'd wake up and they would smell the smell of, of burnt animals every day in the camp. And they would see the pieces of animals and the blood everywhere. As a reminder, you did this because of your sin. And if not for the grace of God, this would be the smell of human flesh every day. And this, this would be what would happen to people because of sin. So, yeah, it was meant to be this way. And it was meant to look and smell this way to convey to the people, this is what happens when you break God's law. And um, so, yeah, it was not meant to be a nice, tidy little picture. It was meant to convey the severity of sin and that when you are there killing and cutting up this animal that you're thinking about, I did this to this animal. That's why, you know, the, the, the cross of Christ was a gruesome act and the beating of Christ and gazing upon Christ is that's what we did to Christ. That's what our sin did to Him. But in His loving mercy, He willingly went to the cross and died and sacrificed and gave his life for us. And so that's, it's that reminder of atonement that's all in here. So that's the significance here of the, of the burnt offering. Um, in the burnt offering, the whole of the animal would belong to the Lord. It would be flayed and consumed by the altar. The priest would be granted the skin of the animal, and the offerer would in turn receive nothing because he received his forgiveness from that. So that's the burnt offering. Um, and I wanted to spend a little more time on the burnt offerings. That's, you know, the, the first offering that's mentioned here, you can see the parts. Um, we could break every other offering down just like this, um, but time and you know, space, we just kind of summed up the other offerings. But uh, you can go through, read Leviticus. It's all laid out there, all the instructions. So you know, we won't go into as much detail with every other offering. So the first offering, the burnt offering, the second offering is the grain offering. The grain offering is found in Leviticus chapter 2 and in Leviticus 6, 14 through 23. Uh, the grain offering would usually be presented in conjunction with the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, uh, even though it's treated that way, it's treated as a distinct offering. The grain offering was made of fine flour mixed with olive oil and incense. It could be baked in an oven, cooked in a pan, or on a griddle. Before the offering was baked or cooked, the priest took a handful of fine flour mixed with oil and incense and burned it as a memorial portion on the altar. The rest of the offering belonged to the priest and was eaten by them. Uh, no yeast or honey could be used uh, or could be added to the grain offering. Uh, verse 13 uh, specifies that salt should be added to all the offerings, probably because salt prevents the spoiling of food and symbolizes the lasting nature of the covenant. In other places where salt is mentioned, the word everlasting is linked with the salt of the covenant. If the grain offering was presented to the Lord as an offering of first fruits, Easter honey were apparently acceptable. In those instances, it was not connected with the burnt offering. So in chapter 2, you find here this grain offering. Um, a fine flour, oil, frankincense also could be put on it. Uh, so this is a bloodless offering. Uh, if you notice in chapter 2 and verse 4, it says when you bring an offering baked in an oven, it tells you how you should bring it baked in the oven. 
Uh, again, in verse 11 of chapter 2, uh, no grain offering uh, shall be made with leaven. Uh, verse 14, uh, if you bring an offering, a grain offering of the first fruits, which is the first, it tells you the instructions there. So this is the bloodless offering uh, that you had to bring. Again, this would kind of be in conjunction with the other offerings. Some of these offerings could be made at the same time you know, and brought together. Um, but you can go back and read through this short section there of the, the grain offering. Uh, the next offering is the peace offering, or oftentimes what is called the fellowship offering. You find this in chapter 3 of Leviticus, and then over in chapter 7, 11 through 34. Of all the offerings, the peace offering was the most joyous and the most flexible of all the offerings. Um, earlier translations sacrifice or call the sacrifice the peace offering because the Hebrew word is built upon the term shalom, which means peace. Shalom also denotes wholeness or well-being. However, uh, and the emphasis in this offering is primarily on the consumption or on the communion, I'm sorry, on the communion and fellowship of the offer and his family with the priest and with the Lord. So this offering wasn't an offering for sin. Uh, it was an offering of fellowship. Uh, and there were three different kinds of peace offerings. Number one, the thanksgiving offering was presented in response to a particular blessing. So if you have received a blessing, you would bring before the Lord a thanksgiving offering. Uh, the second one is a vow offering uh, brought after a time of acute distress, had elicited a vow from the offer if you were making a vow before God. And then the free will offering was presented as an expression of gratitude and love for God without focusing on any specific blessing. So the peace offering uh, was voluntary, uh, and it was to, all, again, offer before God. Uh, and this was a sweet-smelling savor sacrifice that you offer before God as an act of worship. So again, some of these sacrifices are for atonement. Some of them are for worship. And this was one that just had to do with worship, when you praised God in thanksgiving. So, yeah, instead of... You know, singing some songs in praise and worship, you sacrifice these animals for, for praise and worship. So uh, in presenting one of the fellowship offerings, the individual could bring a male or female cow, sheep or goat. In this case, the free will offering, uh, even a deformed or stunted animal was acceptable at certain times. The unique feature of the fellowship offering was that the offerer, along with his family and friends, was permitted to eat part of the sacrificed animal. So it's kind of like a cookout. You know, you're having a barbecue. You know, you're offering this cow. You're having some hamburgers over the grill with the priest. You're having a good time. Um, but as always, the fat belonged to the Lord. So I had to cut the fat off uh, and was burned on the altar. The breast and the right thigh were given to the priest. So the priest could have a, a part in it too. So this was, this was, you know, a fellowship meal. You know, it was like a, Almost like a covered dish meal, you know, something like that. But this was a, a time of fellowship for God's blessings. And to say thankfulness, you bring an animal, you kill it, you cook it, you share it with your family and friends and the priest as an act of thanksgiving uh, and fellowship and peace before God. Uh, the rest of the meat was eaten by the offer and the family on the day of the sacrifice. On the next day, it was a time of rejoicing before the Lord, feasting together and acknowledging God's blessings. And that is the peace offering or the fellowship. Uh, the next offering, we're going back into sin when we go to the sin offering. Uh, the sin offering is talked about in Leviticus chapter 4, 
all the way through chapter 5, verse 13, and then again in chapter 6, 24 through 30. Um, Chapter 4, verse 1 begins this way. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally or any uh, in the Lord's uh, commandments about things not to be done and does one of them, if it is an anointed priest who sins. So this is sin offerings. And it's going to be sin offerings for regular people and for priests. So what you're going to find in this section, in verse number 3, it says, uh, in fact, if you want to look on that in your scripture, in verse number 3 it says, of chapter 4, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people. So the priest could sin and bring guilt upon the people. It says he shall offer for the sin that he's committed a bull from the herd. Uh, so you have what happens if the priest sins. If you go down to verse number 13 of chapter 4, it says, if the whole congregation of Israel sins uh, unintentionally. And, you know, and the thought is carried here as well that you break the law of God. You know, this wasn't you know, malicious murder or something. It's, you, know, you broke God's law. You became unclean, something like that. So you have the priest, verse 13, the whole congregation. And it tells you what to do if the whole congregation sins. If you go down to verse number 22 of chapter 4, it says, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally one of all the things that the Lord commands ought not to be done and realizes his guilt. In the sin offering, you'll see that over and over again. You'll see the term, he realizes his guilt. If somebody sins against the law, yeah, because, come on, who's going to memorize 618 laws? There's going to be something you do during the day that you didn't know was sin or you messed up somehow. But the purpose, the point is here, you sin, and then you come to the realization of it. And when you come to the realization of it, oh, I've sinned before God, then I need to go and make it right. So you sin, you know, most times it's unintentionally because you have so many things you've done, but when you realize it, so there's the sin, there's the realization, and then there's the action, then there's the bringing of the offering of sin to make atonement. So we've seen the priest sins of the whole congregation. Verse 22, if a leader sins. Then in verse 27, it says, if any one of the common people sins and realizes his guilt. So you have you know, these different classifications of people from the priests to the leaders to the whole congregation and then to just the common Israelite if they were to sin. Uh, so you have the sin, realization, sacrifice, sin offering. Uh, This is probably one of the most important sacrifices for sin. It preceded the other sacrifices. Um, If a person committed a sin, uh, they had to bring the lamb or the goat as an offering. If the offer was poor, again, two turtle doves or two doves or pigeons or quarts of flour. So again, the offering was determined upon what you can afford to do. The fat of the lamb or the goat was burned on the altar. The rest of the animal was eaten in the courtyard of the tabernacle by the officiating priest and his sons. If a leader of the community sinned, he had to bring a male goat for the sin offering. If a priest sinned or if the whole community was guilty of sin, a bull had to be sacrificed and his blood was taken inside the tabernacle and sprinkled in front of the inner curtain. The fat kidneys and covering of the liver were burned uh, on the altar of burnt offering. The rest of the bull was taken outside 
of the camp and burned. None of it was eaten. So again, depending on who sent, the common people sinned, you had these options, but if it was a leader of the whole congregation, severer sin, higher level, meant higher level of sacrifice. Um, Hebrews 13 mentions the death of Christ was outside the city gate or outside of the camp, uh, symbolizing Jesus' death was a sin offering. Uh, both unintentional sins and sins of omission were required, uh, required sin offerings for forgiveness, as did lengthy periods of uncleanness. Um, a woman had to bring a sin offering several weeks after childbirth. Someone who had recovered from a serious skin disease or bodily discharge of some kind had to present a sin offering. Uh, this was for cleansing, uh, and usually that was followed by a burnt offering. So the importance of that is, of the sin offering, is you sin against the law, you sin against the Lord, you realize it. It depends on who sins and severity. You bring an offering uh, to make atonement for sin. And then finally, you have the guilt offering or the trespass offering. Uh, the guilt offering begins in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 14, going through 6, 7, and then in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and this is closely linked with the sin offering, uh, which dealt with specific sin. Uh, this sin involved you against, or part of this offering, the guilt offering, uh, had to deal with you against somebody else uh, and having to pay restitution to that person, uh, the trespass or the guilt offering. Uh, there was some overlap in the offerings, but the guilt offering was required when restitution was possible after another person had been wronged. To acknowledge his guilt before the Lord, the individual offered a ram as a guilt offering, which except for the fat parts belonged to the priest and his sons. Um... From a study of Leviticus 6 and Numbers, it's seen clear not all sins involved were unintentional. Apparently, deliberate sins could also be forgiven, provided that the individual repented and confessed his sins and made restitution in some cases. Uh, forgiveness of all sin would ultimately be in the death of Christ. Uh, whenever the different sacrifices were offered... Okay, that's kind of a concluding part. Uh, let me just pick up uh, one or two things here in chapter 5, verse 14. If you notice in chapter 5, verse 14, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things, they bring an offering of his compensation to the Lord. Uh, verse 17, if anyone sins doing the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, so if you do what shouldn't be done or don't do what should be done. Then in chapter 6, this is what I wanted to highlight in chapter 6 of Leviticus. It says, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. So this has to do with other people. In a matter of deposit or security or through robbery. So if you took something, you know, if you robbed or took you know, money or deposit or something from other neighbor through robbery, if you, you know, received it through robbery, or if you oppressed his neighbor or uh, found something lost and lied about it, if they lost something, you found it, and you didn't tell them and you kept it. That was a sin. That was a trespass. Um, swearing by it falsely. Verse number four, if he sinned and he realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression uh, or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he was sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him who it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt, and then he shall bring 
to the priest a ram without blemish or out of the flock. So the trespass offering, again, part of that has to do with against somebody else. If you took something from somebody else, if you found something from somebody else and then lied about it, um, if you oppressed your neighbor for something, you restored what it was, you added to it, and then you had to take and make a guilt offering before uh, the priest. So that's the unique factor there is it involves restitution of something you have taken or found or robbed as well. So this encompasses all of these five offerings. Uh, so you see you know, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. Uh, they deal with your your specifically sin and substitute and sacrifice, the grain offering and the peace offering or sweet savor offering to the Lord, um, grain offering being a bloodless offering. And, and so on the back is just a little chart that will um, go through uh, you know, each of these offerings uh, and what the purpose was and what the actions that would be taken were so yeah that's church in Leviticus that's church service in Leviticus so uh, yeah so there's there, there's still a lot to learn a lot of interesting facts here and and, and you kind of see the the differentiations of classes in society and and the you know classifications of sins and you know the you know higher up you are the more expensive an animal you have to bring and things of that nature so I mean it's 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 there it's interesting to read but you know for us as Christians spiritually it ultimately points to to what Christ has done for us and how we play a part. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about it in the next few weeks, but you know, don't, don't forget Romans chapter 12. You know, our reasonable worship is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Um, I, think it's in, I think it's in Hebrews. It talks about you know, offering praise unto God, the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of your lips. So you know, even in our worship today and in our lifestyle, we're still supposed to offer sacrifices, but it's not in a physical form. It's in a, a spiritual form. We're to offer our bodies living. So that means we're supposed to give it to God totally. And we're supposed to offer the sacrifice of praise and worship. So, you know, when, when God does bless us, you know, instead of you know, killing an animal and having a cookout, you know, which I guess you could do if it's a really good blessing, you know, you, you, you know we thank God and we praise Him. We express that to God. And that is an act of, of sacrifice and worship unto God. So, you know, the New Testament isn't devoid of sacrifices, even that we make. It just changes them into a different form and fashion. So, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we kind of talk about the typology of of Leviticus as well. But yeah, that's just, I mean, some interesting things to still think about. There's still that connection. Any